The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. Uh, she is known as the Tax Pro. Uh, she is based in Rathdrum, Idaho, and her website is taxcoachforyou.com. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I'm really excited about sharing some great information with your listeners today. Absolutely. So let's just start with a little bit of your background uh, leading into uh, forming your own firm to help people save on taxes. Well, Jordan, I used to be one of those traditional accountants where I spent most of my time working more on the compliance end of things for my clients. Really thought I was doing this awesome job helping them file everything on time, make sure it was done correctly, all those kinds of things that accountants really excel at. And after, well, in going through the recession back in 2008 and 2009, my clients, several of them had gone out of business and I started realizing I needed to do something different because my business was suffering from these clients who were here today and gone tomorrow during that time period. And so during the course of that time period, I learned about proactive tax planning. And after learning about it and watching it for a while, I thought this is pure magic. And more people need to know that they can plan their way to a lower tax liability. So I, you could say I was forced into it through the economic conditions of how tough things were during those few years. And now I get to be a tax hero and I get to work with a different type of clientele. And it allows me to work with very successful business owners who are making some money and realize that they're paying more to Uncle Sam than they need to pay legally. So tell me exactly what is a certified tax coach? What's involved with a certification and what do certified tax coaches do that's different than, say, a CPA? Okay, there's about 400 of us scattered across the U.S. And we take a it's either a two or it might even be three days now, in a very intensive training class that helps us learn about these new tax strategies, or some of them are not even new. They're ones that we've just known about, but you kind of weren't doing anything with it. And so by going through this, this training and getting your certification, then you're able to go ahead and use the term a certified tax coach. And what makes us the, the so different from your traditional accountants is we're not recording history so much. We're helping you plan your future. And that's where the magic lies is sitting down with a client, looking at their last couple years tax returns. Sometimes I'm getting a QuickBooks backup or whatever so I can see what's going on currently and helping them plan the next three to five years where we think they'll be in business. And by making certain tax strategies part of their, their um, business, then we can save them. Sometimes it's only three or five thousand a year. Other times it's thirty, forty, fifty thousand in a year, and in money that they would have given to the IRS just because they weren't aware that these strategies were available. 
So there's a lot of different possibilities, but what are some of the most common things that you see uh, where people have made mistakes uh, that they are paying far more in taxes than they really should be? I'm so glad you asked that question. I love that question because I happen to give away a free book all the time that talks about the 10 most expensive tax mistakes that cost you thousands. And I give this book away for free all day long on my website. And it's a great little wealth of, of information. And some of the, t the most expensive things that we see people do is, number one, that they don't realize they can plan. So because they don't plan, they're just busy running their business and they pay whatever their accountant tells them they need to pay at the end of the year. So if you're, if you're planning, then you're being proactive and you're able to reduce those estimated payments throughout the year potentially and then pay less tax when you actually file that tax return. Another one that I see is people being so afraid of the IRS that they're afraid to even try something that's a totally, completely legal tax-saving strategy, such as taking a look at their business entity type. Maybe they've outgrown that entity type from when they first started their business, and I see this one all the time. Or maybe they're just in an incorrect entity type, one that's costing them money on their tax returns. So, for example, instead of being a sole proprietorship, they should be a subchapter S or an LLC. Are those the kind of entities you're talking about? You bet. Sometimes they're a C corp and maybe they should be an S corp or they're an S and they should be a C. We have a whole analysis that we like to run on a client and see if they're in the correct entity type or not. Because, a, because very frequently that entity type can be costing them money. Now, we don't you know, we don't change an entity type just to save somebody money because that would not be uh, very, very good on our part. We have to look at this whole analysis to make sure that the, that the entity type that they are in or that they should be is one that will help them in all aspects of their business. Let's just take for a moment a broader view of the whole tax code. It's very complicated. Every time Congress does something, it makes it even more complicated. Yet there's a constant talk of reducing tax rates, getting rid of deductions and credits, as a way to stimulate the economy. Um, do you think something like that would ever happen, and would that be very bad for your business if, in fact, we simplify the tax code? I would love to see the tax code simplified. I personally don't see it happening, at least not anytime soon. There's so many special interest groups out there that it would be really hard to get it to happen because everybody wants to protect this piece or that piece or whatever. And so I don't see it happening anytime soon. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it would be great if they simplified it down. But I think even if they simplified it down, there's still going to be tax planning out there for the, in the business world. Tell people a little bit about your website, which is tax coach for you with the letter, the number four. What are some of the things they can find there? And what are some of the free reports they can download? We've got some nice tax savings bundles and stuff of, of free reports that they can get out there. Uh, probably the best tool of all is to get a free copy of my book, The 10 Most, ta the 10 Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost You Thousands, because in there we run down the top 10 of the, the things that we see all the time from business owners, and those are the places that I like to start with when I'm talking to a new business owner. There's a whole lot of other deeper and, and more comprehensive tax strategies, but this is a good place to start with your average business person. Now, you say you're dealing mostly with business people and entrepreneurs, uh, but some people are W-2 employees, and they're not really set up to run a business. It's just not what they're going to do. Are there some things that non-business people can do 
to help save on taxes and what would be some of those? Because uh, we're going to spend most of the time, the rest of it, going into what the business people can do. Right. There's there's not a whole lot of things that a non-business owner can do, but there are some things like making sure if your company's got a 401k that you are contributing to it so you get some pre-tax write-offs. Or if that's not available to you, funding an IRA or even looking at your Roth IRA. Or I see a lot of people investing in rental properties and using some of that as some write-offs. So there are some things like that that can be done, but it seems like the majority of the strategies are aimed at businesses because they have more flexibility in the type of things that they can work with. And why is it that Congress and in general the tax system is kind of favorable towards starting businesses as far as giving them flexibility and saving on taxes? What is the kind of societal purpose behind that? I would say because without small businesses, healthy small businesses, our country would be in serious trouble because they are who employ the majority of the employees and stuff out there are employed in small businesses, not the huge corporations that you think of when you think of you know, who's employing the most people. It's all, this, all of us small guys together employ so many people. It keeps our country healthy. So, in, in fact, you think that the tax incentives that are in the code are net positive for the economy because it allows small businesses to hire and grow and, and uh, create jobs that otherwise wouldn't happen without all these tax breaks. I think so, personally, yes. So um, does it matter which kind of business? Are there some businesses that are more uh, have more tax breaks than others, and therefore you should kind of look at those kind of businesses first if you're trying to figure out what business to go into? I wouldn't say that necessarily because things like entity types or retirement plans, those work in any type of a business or hiring your spouse to work in your business. They can work in potentially, you know, most types of businesses from industry to industry. I know in my office we work with all different kinds of industries and we're able to apply the majority of the strategies. Some of the ones like business use of home may not work in a particular industry where you have to be a brick and mortar business. But they work in other industries. So I would say there's all kinds of them out there, and, and most of them are, can benefit from the various tax strategies. So a lot today are starting businesses basically that are online businesses. There's no brick and mortar. Uh, there's no store. There's often because no office. They're running it out of their homes. Are there a lot of tax breaks that kind of Internet-oriented businesses can take advantage of? <coughs> yes, they, they are able to take advantage of the business use of home which is a nice little tax break. It's usually not huge, but it does make some difference on their tax return where they're able to write off the business portion of their home that they're using, their office space. It also helps them to increase their mileage deduction because they don't have to worry about the personal versus business miles. Any miles that they incur when they leave their home heading out to work on a, on a job or something can potentially be 100% business miles, unlike the rest of us where we have to deduct the miles from home to the office before we can go ahead and move on and, and start deducting business miles. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. Uh, she's with Tax Pro Solutions, uh, helping people with taxes. We're going to get into a lot of detail on that in the next segment. Uh, a website for her is taxcoach4u.com. We'll be back after this.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. She is the tax coach. Uh, she's an expert, uh, a certified tax coach, an expert in helping people save on taxes. A website to find out more about her is taxcoach, the number four, you.com. Welcome back to the show, Diane. It's so good to be back again. So let's go to some specific areas that people can uh, learn about to save on taxes. The first one is to avoid or defer income recognition. So I guess the idea is you want to pay taxes later rather than earlier. And if you have choice of when you get income, that can make a difference. But how can people uh, kind of change when they get income to, to their advantage? Well, sometimes it's a timing difference, but other times we like to take a look at the family unit. I have an awful lot of of clients who have had children come home to roost over the last many years, and sometimes those children are adult children who may not be working or maybe they're only working just part-time or something. And so we start looking in their business and we start looking to see are there, is there ways that you can employ that child or maybe it's a parent in your business and then you can write that that expense off through your business which turns out to be money that you would have paid them anyhow and then you're able to take a tax, a tax deduction for it which moves it down to their tax return and potentially they're at the 10 or 15 percent tax bracket and you might be at the 25 or the 39 or the 36 or something along those lines so that's another way we can use that strategy and save some money overall as, and still, you know, help your business, and it helps your business to continue growing. What are some legitimate and illegitimate ways to hire your kids? You can't, that can't be like a two-year-old and, you know, make them CEO or something. So there are certain things that have to be legitimate about this, right? You bet, yes. The IRS says your child needs to be at least seven years old to be able to work for you. You do have to have a job description. You need to keep a timesheet or a time card. You need to assign them duties that is age appropriate, and then you need to pay them a rate that is a fair market rate with age appropriateness kind of worked in there. So you'd have a hard time paying your 10-year-old, you know, 40 or 50 bucks an hour. 
But if you're having them doing some cleanup and filing and stuff in your office, you know, you could pay them a rate that is more commiserate with, with their age and their abilities and that type of thing. We see a lot of clients using their tech-savvy children, like teenagers and those types of things, to do a lot of their social media postings and some of those types of things. I know myself, I use my, my mother, who is quite a bit older, to help supplement her, her living on Social Security. So if I wasn't paying her through my office, I would have to help her anyhow. So I might as well pay her through the office and move that money down into a lower tax bracket. It's kind of arm's length transactions, the idea. You can hire your kids, but it's as though you were to hire somebody who's not your kids to pay them the same wage. Is that the basic idea? Correct. Right. And you need to keep good records and you actually got to cut them a check. And, you know, some of those rules that apply so that it's a legitimate hire. It's not just... Um, oh, the kid needs 20 bucks, so I'm just going to pay it out of the business. Are there child labor laws to watch out for in, in, in hiring your kids that so you can't exploit the kids? I believe there are some, and some states are probably stricter than others. But overall, uh, some of those rules don't apply when the child is working in your own business. Yeah. Okay. And you were also talking about income recognition. So say you're towards the end of the year, and you can kind of look at your tax uh, is it better to have uh, income like a bonus or commission paid in this year or next year? How do you make those calculations as to where the best place is uh, to take income? Well, I like to do a tax projection with my clients when they come to me with those types of questions because the natural um, answer is probably just, oh, just defer it to next year. But if we know that in next year we plan on selling a piece of property or something, then we may not want to defer it to next year because it might bump our tax rate up enough so then we end up paying maximum capital gains rate or something on the sale of that property. So that's not a quick, easy answer that just because you have a bonus company, try to bump it to next year if you can. There's a little more in-depth to it as far as taking a look at the overall um, tax rates and, and where you think you're going to be this year versus next year and then make the better decision based on that information. The next point is to max out on 401k or similar employer plans. So that makes sense for employees, but how about for the business owner? Uh, does it make sense to do a solo 401k or what are some pension plans that you would recommend that are legitimate as a way of saving on taxes and saving for retirement? Well, Jordan, most business owners I see generally favor plans like the SEP or the SIMPLE because they don't have the fees associated with them that a 401k plan has. So 401k is a true qualified plan, and so you need a third-party administrator, and there's some reporting and stuff that happens to the IRS, and there's a fee that goes along with that. And so I see more of them using SEPs and SIMPLES, though I do have a few clients that are actually doing really traditional 401ks. But it's definitely best if we can max those out as we come into the end of the year and here again. Uh, we're heading into the fall as this is being recorded, and we are sitting down and working on tax projections with several of our clients so we can make sure that they are able to max out, max out either their SEP, their SIMPLE, their 401k, whatever it is that they're using in their business so that we can use that as a tax-saving strategy. So you can actually combine several of them, right? It's not a choice of only the 401k or the SEP or the SIMPLE or even a defined benefit plan. What is If you were to do all of them, what is the maximum that people can do if you maxed out all these retirement plans? 
Well, it depends because sometimes if you have one type of plan, you can't have another and be actively contributing to it. There's a whole bunch of rules out there. Yeah. And, you but know. You can, I, the point is you can have several. You don't have to you can. one right. or the other. Right. Yeah, so they kind of offset each other to some extent. Which right, saying. to some extent. And you start getting in because you contributed here, then you can't contribute there. But it seems like the maximum is right around $54,000 that people can drop into a plan generally without problems. And that's for the owner of the business. But if you do that, are there these non-discrimination rules and the employees are going to have to get something too or can the you owner bet. kind of take it all? Right, yeah, the owner can't be greedy. Um, so we then sometimes we look at a safe harbor 401k, which does allow the owner to put more in for themselves than for their employees. Most of the time the owners will issue themselves a bonus at the end of the year and that's how they fund the plan. Well, then they'll just drop 100% of that bonus into the whatever the plan is that they have. So we see a lot of that happening as you're in planning. So, but, but if, whatever. If you, if you are the only employee, if it's a solo company, there's no employees, uh, how much can you put aside? I guess it would be a solo 401k and some other plans combined. You know, I don't have that total exactly because I don't have clients who are using a whole bunch of multiple plans all together. Yeah. They tend to just be sticking with either a SEP or a simple or a 401k. Okay. Uh, now, another thing is capital gains. You talk about accelerating capital losses or deferring capital gains. Um, so the capital gains rate for top income people has gone up from 15 to 20%. The capital losses remains uh, only $3,000 and the rest of it has to be going to future years. So how do you kind of balance out capital gains and losses with these kind of unbalanced rules out there? Yeah, those unbalanced rules really frustrate me as well as you know most accountants, preparers, and individuals, because it's pretty sad when you can only take three thousand dollars a year as a deduction on your tax return, and you've got forty or fifty, sixty or a hundred thousand sitting out there in accrued losses that are just rolling forward three thousand dollars a year. So if we know that the particular client has some ideas where they would like to sell off, whether it's a piece of property, whether it's something out in the stock market, maybe it's a rental house that they've had for years, then it's a good way, another planning tool to be able to use that particular gain to offset those losses that have just been sitting out there and only being able to take it $3,000 a year. So there's a lot of planning can go into that area. Is there any proposal to raise that $3,000 limitation on losses to some bigger number? Is that likely to happen? I hear them talk about it, but I don't know that they'll ever change it. I would hope they would, but it's never even been indexed for inflation or anything. Yeah. So so the idea is if you've got these carry forward losses from past years, a tax shelter is actually taking gains, whether it be selling stocks or real estate, to absorb those losses is what you're saying. Correct. Right. That's something a lot of people probably don't realize that they have. They, yeah, there. they don't realize they can do that. But that's a, that's one of those conversations. You sit down and you and you start asking questions. You know, do you have any desire to start selling some of this stuff? Because a lot of times I've got clients with rental properties that they've had forever, but yet they've got this humongous loss sitting out there. And sometimes just letting them know that we could net this too. This would be a great time to sell it. And yes. Then yeah. they get pretty excited about that. It makes it a tax-free sale, in effect. It, it really does. Let's talk specifically about mutual funds and capital gains. So at the end of the year, mutual funds distribute capital gains, whether you've been in the mutual fund for a day or 10 years. Everybody gets the same amount. 
Um, so is it something that people should watch out for as far as paying tax on a gain they, in fact, have not really earned? I know that they are, tend to be a surprise because we'll get clients in here and they'll say, I didn't get that money, but we end up having to pay tax on it. And so it's, it's, a, it's a good area to be really watching and checking in with your financial planner so that you can make sure you're aware of what's going on and how much you know, could potentially be landing on your 1099 for the end of the year. So is there a way of knowing before you buy a mutual fund? Uh, roughly, you know, if they're going to make a major distribution or not, and if if they are, to buy that fund after the distribution has been made in sometime in December. Right, and I think your financial planning type people should be able to answer those questions for you. As the accountant, I'm always recording it afterwards. Yeah, but I mean, if you wanted to do this the right way, can you call up a mutual fund company and say, is this particular fund I'm interested in about to distribute a major capital gain distribution uh, you know, and therefore I should avoid. Is that something that people can get? I would hope so. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, because it surprises a lot of people. Uh, it does, yeah. yeah. And it does, does it work on the other side? Say a mutual fund has a lot of capital losses from previous years. That, in the same way, kind of shelters gains they may have. So it might be I, advantageous to buy a fund that has capital losses from previous years. Is that correct? I would think so, yes. So it's a whole game that a lot of people are not aware of to play these kind of capital gains and losses. Right, uh, right. Yeah, there. it's almost like the proverbial shell game that you know, you've got to realize where it's at and what you can mix together and what you can't. Now, there are some proposals out there. I think Hillary Clinton has a proposal basically to wipe away the capital gains differential and all income would be taxed at regular rates, including all capital gains. What, what, is that likely to happen? And, and what would be the impact on tax planning if that were to happen? If that were to happen, you would catch some very surprised people who weren't paying attention. Mm -hmm. And when they went to sell their property and then the <laughs> next year they owed all this tax, you'd have some hot, hot, hot people. Um, I, don't know, I don't know that it's very likely that, that that would ever happen because we've had preferential treatment for capital gains for many, many years. It was a long time ago when they used to be up in the 30-ish you know, percent rate. But that's been a long time ago. So people have gotten used to them being lower. And I think she would get a huge amount of pushback. Yes, she would indeed. Very good. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. Uh, she is a tax certified tax coach. Uh, her website is taxcoach4u.com. And we'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. She's a certified tax coach. Uh, her website is taxcoach4u.com. Welcome back to the show, Diane. It's good to be back. So gift tax is something a lot of people don't know an awful lot about. Uh, you're saying you can use a gift tax exclusion to shift income. How do the rules work there? Well, Jordan, the rules there work to the way where when you pass away, they take a look at how much your total estate is valued. And right now, estates less than, it's a little over $6 million, I don't remember the exact amount, don't owe any any estate tax. And so we've done some work in the past. I know there's there's accountants out there and attorneys who really specialize in the estate area where they will tend to move things to the next generation prior to somebody passing away so they can get that estate down below that, that threshold. And so that makes a nice planning tool in certain instances. So but there's a maximum that you can give to avoid gift tax, it's what fourteen thousand a year now. Fourteen thousand a year, yeah, yes. So, and that fourteen thousand a year is you, and then your spouse can also give another fourteen thousand a year to each person. So if mom and dad have two children, they can give each of those children twenty eight thousand dollars each year without anybody incurring any tax or anything on it, or a tax return being filed about it. And if you gave them more than fourteen thousand a year per person. The grantor, the person giving the money, is the one paying the taxes, not the one receiving it. Is that correct? Correct. And that's always surprising that it's the grantor, not the grantee. And what is the tax rate? Is that based on your overall income tax rates, or is there a, a separate gift tax rate? I believe there is a separate gift tax rate. And because I don't work in the estate world, um, I don't prepare those types of returns. Yeah. I refer them on to um, other people that are on my team that do those types of returns. I think it's 35%, as I remember. That's what I was thinking. I would say 35 or 36, right up in that range. Yes. Another thing you say is a way of saving on taxes is to give appreciated assets to charity. So how does that work? Uh, say you've got a, a stock you had for many years ago that's got a very low basis, and then you, it's appreciated a lot, and you give that to a charity. How does that help you save on taxes uh, that you otherwise would have to pay? Well, one of the great things about that is if you took that stock, and I'm just going to just use some really easy numbers, and let's say you paid a dollar for that stock, and it's now worth $1,000. If you put that on your tax return, you would show a, a large gain, a capital gain, on your tax return. Well, if you take that same stock that you paid a dollar for, and you give it to a charity of some sort, you getting the write-off for the full value of what it is at today's fair market value. So let's say it's worth $1,000. So you get a write-off for $1,000 instead of paying tax on that. So it ends up coming out in a better place for you on your tax return than if you sold the stock and then turned around and gave the money to the charity. So the idea is you're getting a charitable deduction for the full thousand dollars. For the and, full thousand, yes. And you're avoiding the tax on the nine hundred ninety nine dollar gain. So you're saving correct. in both ways, correct? Correct. Yes. And so it's it's a really nice planning strategy when you can make it work. Now there's a lot of charities that offer so-called charitable remainder trusts, where you put money 
into a trust, you can get income for life, and then when you die, the amount goes to the charity. Is that, you think, a good uh, tax planning strategy? Um, I think that's a great tax planning strategy. Yeah, I don't see it real often, but when I do see it, it seems to work well for both parties, the charity and the, the, the heirs. You're, you're putting money into an annuity of some kind that's paying you out during your lifetime, and then when you die, they get the full principal amount is where it usually works. Right, yes. right. Okay, another thing you say is way of saving on taxes is to keep track of mileage uh, for business, for medical, for charitable purposes. Uh, so how does that work? And is there some easy ways to keep track of your mileage? That's what's personal and what's for the, that's going to be deductible? Right. Jordan, a lot of people don't realize that the miles that they drive for charity are deductible. And it kind of surprises them when I see somebody who's very charity-minded and I know they're, they're working on various committees and they're doing all this stuff. And over the course of the year, they will drive a few thousand miles, whether they're attending a conference or they're doing all kinds of stuff. And when I ask them for their charity miles, they kind of give me this blank look like, what's that? So miles that you spend on behalf of a charity are deductible, as well as miles that you spend to and from doctors and, and medical appointments and that type of thing are also deductible. And then you have your business miles, which are deductible as well. And so you want to make sure when you're keeping track of your miles that you keep all these different kinds of miles. We call them different colors. So you got your pink miles and your blue miles and your green miles and maybe your yellow miles or something. And uh, keeping track of all of those so that at the end of the year you're able to pick those up as a deduction. I think there are apps that you can actually do to kind of keep track. Because there are scraps of paper all over the place to kind of keep right. track. Yes. Right, yes, yes. So, so that's a good idea. Okay. And, and uh, I hear people talk about an app called Mileage IQ. I have not used it myself or Mile IQ, something like that. So I've had I've heard that one quite a bit recently. Good. Um, medical expenses. Now, uh, as I understand it, you have to have at least seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross in medical expenses to be able to deduct it. Um, so a lot of people aren't going to be able to get that unless they're really sick somehow. But are there some ways of getting medical deductions? Um, that people might not realize? There are, and that 7.5% is increased to 10% unless you're over 65. So that has knocked out even more people from the traditional medical deduction. So then we like to look at if you have a business, especially if you are renting a sole proprietor, like a business renting from home type of thing, and we're able to employ your spouse, then we can potentially depending on what we have your spouse doing and stuff, we can potentially pay your spouse in medical benefits and be able to get, allow you to write off those medical benefits through your business. And that's called a Section 105 or a Medical Expense Reimbursement Plan. So that's a great planning strategy when it works and it allows people to take money that they were previously taking after tax because they couldn't deduct it and moving it into a pre-tax position. Do you think that ideas like uh, FSA, flexible spending account, are a good way to save on taxes to use for medical and other kinds of expenses? I think they are in the, in the larger companies that offer them. But a lot of smaller companies aren't able to offer something like that. But we're starting to see more of the medical expense reimbursement plans around on some of the smaller companies. So is there another way of doing that, for example, a medical savings account as a way of uh, putting money aside for medical expenses tax-free? Right, yeah, we see a lot of, of health savings accounts, uh -huh. more so HSAs. than the medical savings. Yeah, HSA, yes. yes. And an HSA allows you to contribute to the account throughout the year, and then you are able to 
reimburse yourself for your medical expenses and then you're able to take a deduction for the money that you have contributed into the account during the course of the year. You have to have a high deductible medical plan to be able to make that work and it's a nice way when the other when the medical expense reimbursement plan doesn't work. Yes. What are some other special deductions that self-employed people can take in addition to what we've already talked about so far? Well, I'd like to make sure that they're maximizing their meals and entertainment because that's an area I see missed and skipped all the time just because people don't realize what qualifies and what doesn't. The IRS says we have to have five pieces of information before we can deduct a meal or an entertainment, and that is the date that the, that the transaction occurred, the dollar amount, uh, where it happened, who you were with, and what was your business topic. So what were you talking about? So if you and your spouse decide to just go out to dinner and talk about the business while you're at dinner, that doesn't really count as a business meal because we're, the meal or the entertainment following the meal is supposed to be set to where it will generate new business or it'll increase business or it'll keep ongoing business happening, that type of thing. But I see people missing it all the time. And another area that they miss it in is entertaining at home. So many people don't realize that they can write off that cost of having people over to their home for the barbecue or just for dinner or whatever as they're working on their business and talking business with them. So it doesn't actually have to produce new business. There's not like a follow-up thing to say, did it, that conversation actually create business? But it has to be kind of a legitimate discussion that may produce business. Is that the idea? Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, now you also talk about uh, filing status. Uh, it doesn't make sense to file singly or uh, married or married filing uh, separately. What are the calculations involved in picking the correct filing status? Well, Jordan, so many of those are state dependent. So an example here in Idaho, we're a community property state. And so if you're married, we basically have to file married filing joint because Idaho takes the position that we have to record half of my income on my return and half of it on my spouse's return and then half of his income on his return and, the, and half on my return. So you end up not gaining anything by the married filing separate. In fact, married filing separate is the highest tax rate out there. So that becomes a topic for which state that you're located in as to whether it's more beneficial or not. There's also this very complex thing out there, the alternative minimum tax, the AMT, which nobody can particularly understand. What are some of the things that you do wrong that will throw you into the AMT that a lot of people might not be aware of? Make money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one. So if you're making a lot of money and you're going to end up with AMT tax, and then you start losing your personal itemized deductions and personal exemptions and things like that because you've made money. Try to keep this very simple because it can be a very dry discussion. So is it something that you should not try to think about? I mean, you want to make as much money as possible. You're saying if you make a lot, you'll end up paying more in taxes because various preferences and tax credits you'd normally get. Correct. You don't get under the AMT. But it's not something you're, you're saying you should really worry about? Well, th that can be factored into the tax projections. And so we know if we do this, this is what it's going to cause or create in the way of AMT. AMT is a tough one because it can just kind of sneak up when you think you've got everything all laid out tax planning-wise. And all of a sudden, 
a preference or a credit or something changed on you and AMT did what we didn't expect it to do. So you have to really do a lot of planning with AMT. Another thing you say is to bunch your itemized deductions. So that means uh, put them into one year as opposed to another because a lot of people have standard deductions and never get to itemized deductions. You're saying right. the way around that is to bunch them in one year or another. Is that the idea? That is the general idea. As standard deduction continues to increase, you have fewer and fewer people able to actually itemize their deductions. So if you know that you typically give X amount of dollars to a charity, but this particular year you're planning on doing something, you know, you got an inheritance or whatever, make sure that you roll that into this year and don't let it roll into the early part of next year because that could be the, the bump that allows you to get up and over the standard deduction and be able to take itemize instead of standard. So this is what you're talking about as far as tax planning, knowing in advance when to do these things because a lot of it has to do with timing as opposed to when you get the most advantage from it. You bet. Yes, timing is everything. Yeah. Another area you wanted to talk about was uh, home equity loans. Um, as a way of saving on taxes. How do you save money with a home equity loan? Home equity loans are great in certain circumstances because they allow you to pull equity out of your home and make that interest from that loan potentially deductible. Now, there are rules and stuff that go along with it, and that could be another really dry topic. But if you stay within the guidelines, it allows you to take interest that could potentially not be deductible and move it into a deductible area. Indeed, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. Uh, she is a certified tax coach, and you can see she's got a lot of good information about all kinds of ways of saving on taxes. Her website is taxcoach4u.com, taxcoach4u.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Diane Gardner. 
She is a certified tax coach. You can see she knows an awful lot about saving on taxes. Her website, taxcoach4u.com. Welcome back to the show, Diane. Great to be back again, Jordan. So in addition to helping people save on taxes, you kind of are act as a consultant to a lot of your entrepreneur clients to make their businesses more successful. So what are some of the things you recommend to them to help them make their business stand apart from their competitors? Oh, Jordan, um, probably the best way for you to stand apart from your competitors is in the area of customer service. Mm -hmm. And I see that repeatedly with my clients as we teach them different ways that they can that they can give kind of a what we call a wow experience to their customers. It, and it all starts from that first phone call. You're looking at your website, looking at your social media. They actually walk through the door of your business. There's different ways that you can create little wow experiences all along the way that just keeps on bringing them in, you know, reeling them on into your business versus what they see from your competitor who might be, you know, a little more dry and they're not as, as catchy or whatever, you know, and creating those little wow experiences really can make a difference in bringing in a new customer to your business or a new client over not doing that. And you say it's important to increase the lifetime value of a customer, uh, not only directly what they bring in, but the uh, referrals that they may bring in as well. Do, do people uh, kind of value a lifetime uh, value of a customer more or is there something they could value more? I think they should value it a whole lot more than what they probably do. I think they forget about it, and they get hooked into just bringing more sales in the door. But we we are really big on having them actually sit down and we calculate, what is that customer or that client worth to you this year, next year? What about their referrals? How much are they worth to you? And actually having them pick out who are your top maybe 10 customers, 20 or 30, depending on the size of the business. And what can we do to, to keep those people completely happy? What can we do to increase that lifetime value? Is there products or services that they're not even aware that you provide that we could help them with and continue to make them even happier as well as increasing that value because now you've added more products or services for them? Is there the classic kind of 80-20 rule that uh, you get 80% of your profits from 20% of your clients, that kind of thing, and you should concentrate on the bigger clients to, to make your business do well? I think that most businesses probably fit that same module or that same rule of 20% of your clients are, are bringing you in about 80% of your profit. I know in my business, we kind of have A, B, C, D, and E clients, and we really spend most of our efforts on the A's and the B's yeah. because those are the ones that really keep us moving and keep us growing and they bring in new people all the time and we, we do everything we can to serve them really, really well. Yeah, most people get distracted and they don't concentrate on them. And there's, they only have so much time and effort to, to uh, offer and if you do it on the 20% they're going to give you the most, it's probably the best way to go. Yeah, because you don't have time to do it on all of them. So in addition to doing tax planning for your clients, you also help them kind of as a consultant grow their business. What are some of the things that you recommend typically to help in addition to what you're talking about clients as far as helping them make their business grow and succeed? Well, I'm also a certified profit first professional. So in that realm, we like to sit down and take a look at how they're spending money and their expenses, help them see some, some percentages of where they might line up with, compared to other people in their industries, and then be able to start helping them work on ways that they can start putting some money away 
to make sure they always have money on hand to pay their taxes. They have money that they can pay themselves because you'd be surprised how many people have been in business for years and have never paid themselves any sort of a wage or a salary or a draw or whatever it needs to be called. And working with them on that way to start getting that profit number to start climbing year after year after year once they become aware of how they're spending their money and maybe where they're out of a line. Talk a little bit, but I've not heard of that before. It's called a Profit First Consultant. Is that what it's called? A Profit First Professional. And it is based on the book called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And in there, his whole premise, in the, well, in the, I'm going to back up. In the traditional accounting world, it's sales minus expenses equals profit. And if there's anything left over, the owner gets to take some money home. Well, Mike comes around and he flips that equation around and he says sales minus profit equals expenses. And so we plan how much that profit needs to be, which guarantees that those taxes get paid. It guarantees that the owner gets to take some profit out of their business. And it causes them to run a little bit more leaner type business because they now are working on or they're now covering their operating expenses on a, a less than 100% of their sales. So it causes them to become more profitable over time. So you'll find a lot of business clients are not tracking expenses very carefully, but by doing that, they have more of an incentive to do so? They do, right. Yes, and then you're meeting with them on a periodic basis, and we're checking those numbers, those percentages, making sure that they're staying in line. Sometimes we're increasing the piece that's going off to the savings account so that they have a bigger piece to pull out for their profit at the end of the, of the month, the quarter, the year, whatever it is that we're working on. If people are building a business for many years and never taking any money out of it, never taking any salary, what are they doing? I mean, are they trying to sell the business eventually? I mean, doesn't it make sense to take money out of a business? Yeah, people who have been in business for many years who are not taking money out of their business generally are paying a lot of personal bills out of that business and they just are not realizing that they really are taking money out. They're just doing it in a kind of a convoluted sort of way. So it's making them aware of what they're actually taking and trying to break those bad habits and having them actually take a draw or a salary or whatever is, is appropriate out of that business instead of just paying personal bills, getting that personal stuff out of that business so we can get a better view of what's really happening in that business. Is that a, a, a discipline that people can have, that uh, keeping things separate from the business and personal because it often particularly in a startup situation, there's a lot of overlap that probably shouldn't be happening. Is that what you're saying? Yes, there's an awful lot of overlap out there. Yeah. So how can, can somebody start a business, say from home, say it's an online business of some kind, they don't have business credit lines, you know, they're not really established yet. Typically, they're going to use their own personal credit cards or friends and family kind of loans. Is there a better way to start a business that's, that's a real business instead of doing it that traditional way? I'm sure there are, but that is what I see most of the time. And, and that can be fine because then we just need to define how much they really owe to, to mom or to dad or to their brother or their sister or whatever. We need to define on those personal credit cards how much really was business expense and not personal. And then start drawing some lines and eventually they start building up credit and they can get a business credit card. And then we do away with the personal one. So sometimes it takes a couple years to kind of get her over that hurdle and get them to the point where they are actually keeping a clean set of books. Because not everybody can just go out and borrow money or, not, or just has money 
to go out and start a business at the beginning. Is that a difficult transition? Say you have a successful business, but they started the way you say a lot of clients do, through personal loans from their friends and family and personal credit cards, to transition from that kind of out of your back pocket into a traditional business and to kind of unravel things. Is that a difficult process you have to go through? It's not difficult so much as it just means breaking some habits that have been potentially bad habits that have formed over the years. Mm -hmm. But once they understand how it starts benefiting their business, they usually are pretty willing to start working with me and we start working on those habits and start setting up some savings accounts and some things so that they can start putting that money away so that's there when they need it for the various, maybe they need to buy some equipment that's coming up because their business is growing. Well, let's start saving up for it a couple of years in advance and pay cash for it instead of having to go out and get a loan to buy that equipment. We have about a minute to go. So why don't you kind of sum up, Diane, about what a difference it'll make in people's lives to work with somebody like you, a certified tax coach, in, in saving money and growing their business as opposed to doing it the way they do it without tax coaches. Well, without a tax coach, you end up paying way more than you what you really need to pay the IRS. There are legitimate tax strategies, and most people don't know what they don't know. And that's why it's so important to hook up with somebody who does know these things and to use their expertise and knowledge to help you plan your way to a lower tax liability. Very good. Uh, so, again, people can find out more about Diane at her website, which is taxcoach4u.com, taxcoach for you.com. We've learned an awful lot about saving on taxes, and we very much appreciate you being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Diane. Thanks so much for having me today. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.